with you. As promised in previous episodes, I want to share some behind the music notes or um, experiences. And this is one of those particular episodes. A couple months ago, several months ago, actually, uh, sorry about that. I shared a song with you in your eyes. And I want to share how that song came about. And I do want to preface this by saying this goes deep into some to some stuff okay right and this is how though the song came about so I want to share that with you before I get into that I want to remind you that you are invited and welcome to share questions and your own experiences for conversation Um, there are a few ways to do that you can reach out on Instagram at remnant nation worship and or you can visit the website at aremnantworship.com. So about the song, the title, In Your Eyes, the song is really talking about, um, it, it's a contrast between how I saw myself and how God saw me um, and how he sees me. And, and it's for all of us, we oftentimes have a different view of ourselves than God has of us. And that view that we have ourselves is not always the better of the two. It's oftentimes, in my case, and in many, many cases of of people I know, that view is much worse. So that's the premise of the song. You can find the song on the website, and you can find it on bandcamp.com. It's also on Spotify, okay? So in 2005 or six, something like that, first we moved here to Tennessee in 2002. My my son and at the time my husband moved to Tennessee in 2002. Well, in 2005 or six, I still consider myself new to Tennessee and to the church that I was attending. Three or four years is still pretty new to me. Um, before I moved here, I considered myself a pretty confident person. I grew up in church, so I wasn't new to that structure, but I was new to the degree of liberty that was in this ministry, this particular ministry that we, we joined when we moved here, such as the way we dressed. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers wearing stockings to church, but that's how I grew up. <laughs> that's how I grew up. We had to have on stockings and, and you know, ooh, we couldn't wear pants. Women couldn't wear pants to church and it's all this kind of stuff. But here we didn't have all that. You didn't have to have on stockings. You could wear sandals, you know, dressy sandals to church. And not all the men were in suits, that type of thing. So I appreciated that. Honestly, it felt free. Not crazy or outrageous, but there was a liberty in that, you know. Um, There was also a greater level of insight into the background of the Bible. So not so much surface level teaching, 
Um, but there was, there was teaching that really broke down things that made the Bible understood, you know, um, those things that I had not been taught where I came from. And it was not only intriguing, but the teaching opened my understanding to connect some dots. And it really made the Bible make sense. It brought clarity to a lot of, of gray area, you know, and I love that. There was wisdom there, and that was amazing to me. But along with the wisdom, the clarity, and the understanding, there was also an air, you know, at the time, subtle air of classism, right? That was, and it was progressively growing, though, behind the scenes. It wasn't evident in the beginning of my time there, but looking back, I see how it was always there, um, looking back, I see there were things, I remember that there were things said, there were things done uh, every now and then to suggest that I was definitely not a part of the higher social class, right, in the church. That sounds crazy for those two phrases to be mixed, but in the church, I was not a part of that higher social class. And there was something in me, I'm not going to lie, honestly, there was something in me that wanted to be there, right? Okay, so we'll get to that. Anyway, whatever these happenings were, they didn't, those actions, the things said, the things done, those in in themselves didn't rob me of my confidence, my self-esteem, but they did shine a light on uh, and even fostered a spirit that was already in me, okay? A spirit of rejection. It happened like this. Once, at one time I was asked, why doesn't your family want to be around you? So, I wasn't aware that my family didn't want to be around me. So what that did was introduce the idea that my own family didn't like me, right? And so I, at the time, I mean, that's very odd. That's very odd to ask somebody. And being a spiritual leader, that's, that's, hmm, should you introduce something like that to I mean, you know what I'm saying? Is that something we should do? Not even as spiritual leaders, as Christians, period. Should we, should we, um, you know, put people in the mind that this, that person don't, doesn't like you? Is that what we should be spreading? But anyway, once that thought was introduced, then I thought back to similar comments that had been made by other people. So I'm like, mm-mm. Maybe it's something to this. On another occasion, I w- it was suggested that, you know, your mother doesn't even really care about you. She hasn't been here to see you and she doesn't care what's going on with you. And uh, your father doesn't care for you. And, and, and you know, the, again, here's an introduction of something that I, that I wasn't thinking about. But when I look at the, the, how factual it is. Well, she hadn't been here and he hadn't been here. Hmm. Does that mean something? And then you couple it with the already, the previous suggestion, your family doesn't even want to be around you. You, you mix those two together and you got a formula for destruction of, of a heart, right? 
So over time, and as I consider the relationship with each of them, my mother and my father, the words of this ministry leader started to seem true. So over time, with more and more of these types of things, more and more of these um, subtle suggestions being whispered, you know, I found myself pulling further away from my family, at least emotionally. And then I was working harder, though, to be closer to the leader, which I think was actually by design, honestly. So I'm working harder to be closer to the upper class uh, of the of the ministry, right? Now, remember I said that didn't make me lose self-confidence or self-esteem. It only offered suggestions or they only offered suggestions that ignited what was already in me, right? That is how um, perceptions are are skewed, right? Or perverted, right? So it wasn't necessarily true. I came to know many, many, many years later. It wasn't true that they didn't want to be around me. It wasn't true that they didn't care about me. The truth was, everybody was living their life. You know, they're doing whatever. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't. It wasn't anything um, derogatory toward me. It wasn't negative toward me. It wasn't a uh, any emotion targeting me saying they didn't want to be around me. It was just people were doing what they were doing, just like I was living my life. But when I looked at those small truths and compared them to the big lies that were subtly introduced, these things start to look real. And that's how that's how the enemy does us in everything. He'll he 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 always skews the perspective. He always skews the perspective. And if he can change our perspective on the same thing, it's like glass half empty, glass type, glass half full type thing, right? You see a glass and it's it's half filled with liquid. Is it half empty or is it half full? It's all about your perspective. It's all about the perspective. And if the enemy can gain control over the perspective, then he he can begin to direct the path, right? Hmm. So that's a, that's a, that'll, that's a whole nother conversation that we can definitely get into later. But so while all of this was going on, starting in 2003, God starts to talk to me, right? He's speaking to me while, even before, really, these whispers start to to come. And he's showing me things that I need to pay attention to. He's showing me where people's hearts are. He's showing me based on their actions. He's like, pay attention to this, you know. 
And now I just said that the enemy wants to gain control of the perspective. Well, God wants to have control of our perspective too. And the difference between what God shows us about a person and what the enemy shows us about a person is God's perspective. His viewpoint is always going to come from a place of compassion. He's never, never, ever, ever, ever going to show us someone's heart based on their actions. He's never going to show us those things. Um, For us to be angry, to be bitter, to be unforgiving. He's never going to suggest any one of those. He's never going to suggest we we are angry. He's never going to suggest for us to be bitter. He's never going to suggest for us to be unforgiving. Instead, he's going to show us their heart and he's going to say, he's going to show us where where their mindset may be. What have they gone through? What's making them look at it like this? What's making them come from this direction? Now, he may say, you know, you need to get away from that, pull away from that. You don't need to be a part of that person. That person doesn't need to be a part of your life. He may say that, but he's never, ever going to encourage us to be bitter, be angry, be unforgiving, ever. That's the difference in the two. That's how you know which person is trying to lead or to control the narrative of a situation. Okay. So he's speaking to me through other people, right? Um, and he's never, never, ever coming to me or or sending somebody to say something to me against someone else. This is how God does. He's so, okay, wait. <laughs> Y'all remember that movie, Harlem Nights? Um, it's Eddie Murphy, a lot of comedic giants. Eddie Murphy, um, Arsenio Hall, Richard Pryor, and, and so on and so forth. But there's a scene, and it just popped in my mind. There's a scene where Red Fox tells Richard Pryor, you one smooth such and such. And I just had that thought but when I was getting ready to say, this is how God does. He doesn't. He won't send a person to talk against another person, but instead... Say you and you and or me and so and so, me and whoever, me and Joe Blow are having a conversation and Joe Blow is saying something that is um, not right. He's trying to change my perspective on something or give me a perspective on something. And um, and it's not right. It's not righteous. It's ungodly or whatever. It's not. And the enemy is always going to come subtle. He's not going to come out rah-rah and say, hey, I'm the devil. Follow me. Or I am wrong. I am against God. Follow me. He's always going to be subtle to try to build you to that stage, right? So Joe Blow is saying something to me and it's, and it's you know, questionable or whatever. So what God will do is he will either send, I, I could be seeing, I could be watching something on TV, or I could be listening to a message, or in church listening to a, a preacher preach, or a teacher teach, or somebody else could come up to me in a conversation. And we just start talking, and it hits on what me and Joe Blow were talking about. And it, it corrects the the negative suggestion that came up in me and Joe Blow's conversation. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So that's how God moves. He's one smooth. <laughs> anyway, that's funny. Okay, but anyway, he always comes around. God will always come around to correct what is incorrect. Okay? And he does it in such a loving and such a classy fashion. Okay? So, 
people would come and 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 God would bring correction, right? And and he's speaking. And during this time, he's speaking very audibly in my ear. I mean, like, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but you can ask him. And in time, he, he'll do that for you. But like he, he was sitting next to me and literally I heard him externally say something to me, right? It's amazing. But anyway, so he's basically telling me not to get caught up in all of this, the hype that's going on around me at the time, right? I remember riding down the street and, and this is when all of this stuff was going on, all of these subtle suggestions of me not being liked or loved by my own family. Um, all of this is going on and more, so much more. But all of this is going on. And I remember riding down the street and I heard very, very clearly and very audibly, and I will never forget it. God said, if you did everything right I could not love you more than I love you right now. Man, that was so amazing. I don't even remember the exact issue probably that was going on, but I was probably just leaving a meeting being told that I was doing something wrong or because so much of that happened. But he said that to me and in that moment, that was so amazing. He was right there, right there to lift my head, to lift my spirit. He said, if you did everything right, I couldn't love you more than I love you right now. Even if you were doing everything right. That's amazing. And he says the same thing to you. It doesn't matter the mistakes. Even if you were doing everything you knew to be right and honest and you were getting everything right all the time, he couldn't love you anymore. That wouldn't make him love you any more than he loves you right now at this very moment. That's for all of us. Okay. So at this time, my desire to be accepted and to be wanted was so strong that I I allowed it, I allowed my desire to override what God was saying. Because even though in that moment he told me, if you did everything right, I couldn't love you more than I love you right now. It wasn't his love that I was trying to gain. Dang. Hmm. It wasn't his love that I was that I was trying to to acquire. It wasn't his acceptance that I was trying to acquire. I was looking for love and acceptance from the people around me. Okay. So, by 2007, I had fallen into a deep depression. Still functioning as a worship leader in the, in the assembly. Still trying to be in the in crowd. Still not fitting in. <laughs> Still not fitting in because it's just something about me, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily something about me or it's um, God didn't want me to fit in there. I, I know that. I know that part. So I'm not going to say that it was something. It's something about me that that makes me not fit in. 
Um, I won't say that. I know who I am. I know I'm called apart and I know I am not going to be liked by everybody. I'm not everybody's pick and that's all right. It's, it's not, I don't have a problem with that, but I know in that situation, he did not want me to fit in. He didn't want it for me. And I thought for a long time that it was everything else and other people trying to keep me from being, you know, accepted and, you know, whatever. It was God. And I'm I'm thankful for it now. <laughs> so I'm still functioning in all of these roles. I'm still trying to fit in, still trying to be in the in crowd, still trying to be closer to the leaders of the ministry, still being hindered there, like I said. And by now, I had been convinced that I did not and never did know God. Now, you can call me crazy, whatever. But even though I've been hearing his voice, I've been worshiping him for many years. Before I even came to Tennessee, God is using me. I'm hearing him. I know I have a relationship with him. But somehow they were able to convince me. And I didn't even know God, right? Right here on that, I want to interject something. Two things. That sounds very cultish, like a cult, and it is. It is, and it was. And I want to say about cults, they are not original designs, right? In other words... Nobody steps into a cult saying, I'm going to start a cult, right? They are evolutionary. They evolve into what they become. Cult leaders, if you look at the history of cults and cult leaders, the cult leader has a uh, an epiphany or some type of experience. They believe this is amazing. They want to share it with other people. They start to share it. And it's always a higher being for whatever religion it is. But over time, that cult leader begins to, um, the truth of their their heart begins to uh, be revealed, okay? And they, they, they come into a place where they start to, instead of pointing people to the higher power that and the experience that they had, they start to point the people to themselves and they start to encourage and suggest worship of themselves. That's how cults evolve. Okay. They don't start out as cults. They start out as gatherings, usually small ones, and they evolve into cults, typically large ones. Okay. The second thing I want to interject right there is that, um, If you know someone who you believe to be in a cult, pray to God about how to help them. And you got to come from a pure place, from a humble heart. You can't go in with judgment on this, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can't go with the rah-rah, okay? You got to go in humble and he'll help you. To help them, because if you attack their belief or their leader, they will likely react by drawing closer and deeper into the cult. And if you know anything about cults, we know that not everybody 
Not everybody comes out of those. Okay. And then those who come out, they don't always come out okay enough to maintain life. Okay. Unfortunately. So now in 2007, because in spite of everything I feel and everything that's going on around me, I still really do have a relationship with God, right? Regardless of what I've been told. And he is still speaking to me, right? One day I hear you're cast down, but not destroyed. Hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. So I know that that's that's scripture. So I pick up the Bible and I find 2 Corinthians 4 verses 9 through 11. And as I'm reading, I say to myself, wait a minute, that was Paul's experience. Paul was cast down and Paul was jailed and Paul was imprisoned and he was beaten. All that kind of stuff. I didn't, I didn't have that experience. He was persecuted. And, and all of that because of what he was called to do in the kingdom of God. So as I did some cross-referencing, I found in Deuteronomy 28 and 13, where God promised to make Israel the head and not the tail, to set them above only and not beneath. That's a covenant that he made with them. That's a covenant. And so I said, oh, okay, wait a minute. And so as I continued to study this, the lyrics started to formulate in my heart. And I started to reflect on things that I had felt in the past, feelings that I grew up with, um, things that stayed neatly tucked away until that Pandora's box was unlocked within me. So after I had sat, for what seemed like a few minutes writing a letter to God. I sat down in front of my keyboard and played the melody that I heard in my spirit. And I've realized over time that a lot of a lot of my songs are prophetic even to me. <laughs> and um that's different and and it's strange and it's amazing at the same time. This particular song, it was prophetic to a healed mindset that I would that I was coming into uh, I wasn't there yet and it would take a whole year before I could bring myself to even sing this song before an audience not for fear or nervousness of being in front of the audience but because it was not a reality for me yet I mean I, I hadn't grasped it so I, I felt I, I could not with conviction sing the song now, God has said it to me, he said it all through me, and it was true in the spirit, this freedom that, that in his eyes, I'm above and not beneath, I'm the head and not the tail, I'm not counted out or even cast down. All of that was true, but I made a big mistake before it was completely grounded in my heart, I made a mistake, and I shared the music track, ironically, <laughs> with the same ministry leader who was very craftily undermining my value as a person. The same one who was telling me I didn't know God and my family didn't love me and they didn't want to be around me. That's the one I, I shared 
the track with. And I know I'm hitting myself in the forehead like I should have had a V8. Anyway, and in true fashion, she mocked it, which further aided my confidence, which further delayed the deliverance God had given me through me in a song. Yeah. So after that, it would be another few years before I composed. Oh, after that, it was several years before I composed another song at all. The lesson in this is that the enemy will always send an agent. And and unfortunately, his agents don't always look like the bad guy, right? Unfortunately, some of his agents are in the same place that I'm in. You find them in the same place that I was in, church. He's always going to send an agent to discourage. I hadn't learned that lesson yet. So I'm still seeing these people that he's using, that he's working through to destroy me spiritually and emotionally. I'm still seeing them as friends, mentors. I'm still trying to be a part of them, not realizing that they are unconsciously working for my enemy. That's the compassion that I was talking about earlier, how God wants us to see people. I see what was happening now. I see what was happening but I'm not angry with them. I'm not, I'm not, there's no bitterness. There's no unforgiveness. I have compassion for them because if they don't change, there's a hefty price to pay for hurting other people, discouraging other people from coming to God or being close to God. There's a, a hefty price to pay for that. And I don't want to see them, I don't want to see them go through that. So I do have compassion for them. Now, remember I said that the song was prophetic? Well, the verse talked about my distant past growing up. But the chorus was very much for the present. And I told you, God had been speaking in different ways to show me and warned me against being caught up in what was going on around me. And in this song, he was telling me that it doesn't matter how other people see me or what they think about me when what they see and think is not what he sees or what he thinks. And that's for all of us. If we find out what God feels for us and hold on to that, we can forget about what everybody else thinks about us. Let all of that go. Because it really doesn't matter if what they think is not the same as what God thinks and what he sees. In fact, the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29 and 11, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Thoughts and plans for your welfare and peace 
and not for evil, to give you hope in your final outcome. In the King James, it says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. So friends, God has already made plans for us, for our future. He's already, he's already got that mapped out. So it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about us. If we can know his plan, get in his plan and stay in his plan, what, what do their thoughts matter? I mean, I know that now. <laughs> I can share that with you now. <laughs> Thank God for that. When I accepted that as real in my life, when I finally got it, because like I said in the last episode, I was still struggling with it. I was still struggling with it. Oh, what are people going to think? And, oh, I can't do that. And, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to show my face. And, la, 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 la. Okay. When I really, when I really grabbed that and accepted that, I'm free. And that freedom was always there. I just hadn't realized it yet. I I really had to get out of, man, I, I really had to let go of people's opinion. And and the crazy thing about me saying letting go of people's opinion, anybody that I'm around, they have a high opinion of me. I mean, why surround yourself with people who don't? It wasn't even their opinions. It was what I thought their opinion would be. Wow. So much wasted time. But this is what I want to share with you. The freedom that comes with knowing and accepting what God says about you. And I don't even have to know you personally to know that God loves you. And he wants you. (laughs) He wants you to know him. He wants to know you. He wants to give you an expected end. He has an expected end for you. And that's one, that's something that I did say um, in the song. You see me at the end of what you say about me. I'm healed, I'm whole, and I'm complete. Then you meet me right where I am and walk me through to what you see. And I know he feels the same way about you. He hasn't expected in for you. He already sees your ending that he wants you to have. But, you know, he gave us a choice. So, and he's not going to take that choice away from us. So if we don't choose him, he's unfortunately going to be hurt. But he's not going to make us do anything. Right? I mean, would you want... Would you want a love or a love interest that you had to manipulate to be loved by? Right? If you need help discovering what God says about you and who you are in him, let me know. I'm here for it. I'm here for the help. If you are in an assembly or group or on a team or in a relationship that is tearing you down Run. Surround yourself with people who are where you want to be, or at least going in that direction. Okay. I hope you got something out of this chat today. 
If you did, share it with somebody else to help them come up. Don't forget, you can reach out on Instagram, A Remnant Nation. You can also visit the website, remnantnationworship.com. I'd love to hear from you. I do want to pray with you before we go. Father, I thank you for the listener today. I thank you, Father, that their heart is encouraged to know you, to know what you say about them, to know who they are in you. Father, I pray for anyone who is struggling um, in a relationship of any kind or a part of a group of any kind that where you are not the focus, where you are not, where they're not being encouraged to know you and to love you. I pray for them, Father, that you would free their heart, free their mind, give them boldness and courage to walk away. I pray, Father, for the listeners who, Father, who are casually listening, that something um, was said that could touch their heart, their spirit, Father, their mind, to encourage them to go another day, to give us some more time seeking you to know you. And I pray that you cover their day and whatever time of day they're in, whatever day they're listening on, that you would cover them in this day, Father, and give them peace in this day. Give them insight in this day. Give them encouragement in this day. And Father, help them to move forward, to be better, to do better, to have better and know better. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you and amen. Thank you for tuning in again, friends. I will see you on another day. Until then, make it a great day. My reality, my reality, my reality, my reality.